Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. All right, so before we jump into this uh, episode with Matt Reddington from Veritive, uh, we are so incredibly appreciative of our sponsorship and our partnership with Doxalent. Uh, if you've been listening to season three, you know that uh, Doxalent has joined us to be our first sponsor ever. And why were we so excited about Doxalent? Well, because they are solving uh, some really important issues within the packaging world. They touch uh, brands, they help out companies, they help with speed to market. Listen, they have a game-changing uh, packaging specification management software called Insure. Uh, and so what you need to do, you, you need to learn about this thing. Please, please, please support the podcast. Go to www.peopleofpackaging.com and get your free ebook, How to Transform Your Packaging Specification Workflow to Increase Efficiency and Decrease Time to Market. We all know how important that is. Our packaging needs to be efficient and it cannot get in the way of product launches and changeovers and uh, change management and all these kinds of things. So take control of your packaging specification. Go to www.peopleofpackaging.com to get your free ebook, support the podcast, and level up your game. Now let's get to our episode with Matt Reddington. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Today, I am joined uh, via uh, via Zoom, as everything is these days, uh, from Georgia. Uh, I've got Matt Reddington. Matt is the Director of Global Design Services at Verative Corporation. And Matt, I also are, are you a Wally Zerbiak fan by chance? I am. Wally was there when I uh, went to school, and I got to graduate during the great football seasons of Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. I just saw Miami University. Uh, I'll never forget. I went to I went to Colorado State, and we were going to a game, and our team was pretty good. We were like five and zero, oh, and my friends and I are walking to a game, and I said, "Guys, I'm I'm watching these highlights. I don't think we're going to win." And they were like, "What are you talking about? This isn't Miami." you know university of miami it's not the hurricanes it's the team from ohio like yeah but this quarterback is something else and we got slaughtered roethlisberger just stood back there and picked us apart so um and while we're not here to talk about uh wally world and his run in the ncaa tournament i do know enough to be dangerous about miami of ohio so there you go uh but welcome to the podcast um i'm glad you're able to join us Adam, thank you very much for having me. Cool deal. So uh, start off outside of uh, where you went to school and what your job title is. That obviously is is a small microcosm of who we are and how we got into this. So maybe give our listeners an idea of your background and how you got into design services at Veritive. What was that, what's that journey been like for you? Absolutely. It's, it's actually been a little bit of a, um, maybe some would say a backwards journey of getting there. Um, 
I went to school at Miami University, as we just talked about, and I had an undergraduate degree in supply chain management. Although back then it was called uh, purchasing and procurement before they had really adopted the supply chain term for all of that. And uh, from there, I went into the 3PL space or third-party logistics okay. and was a managing some warehouses for uh, Del Monte Foods via 3PL agreement with a company in the Southeast called uh, Saddle Creek Corporation. And so that was really my first interaction as an adult, let's say, uh, with packaging. And it was through the distribution network. And I was dealing with all of the packaging failures at that time, not really knowing that it was somebody's job to design and develop that packaging to make sure a product got from point A to point B. And um, during that job was when I decided that I really didn't want to work in a warehouse the rest of my life, uh, opening a building at 530 in the morning and shutting it at six o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. seven days a week as an operations manager uh, really wasn't great for my life. I, I got married right around that time frame and I was seeing my wife basically for dinner and then I was going to sleep and getting up before the sun came up. And um, that wasn't really a great time from a, a personal relationship perspective. So I decided I wanted to go back and get a uh, MBA, which I ended up getting from Mercer University here in uh, Georgia with a concentration in marketing. And that really helped me make a shift out of the 3PL space into um, a company called uh, Newell Brands. Back then they were known as Newell Rubbermaid. Yep. Uh, they make a lot of things like cow flan, pots and pans, goody hair products, I think Rubbermaid rough neck trash cans. A lot of us have interactions with those brands. Yeah, I met somebody it, from it, Newell one time and they said, we're the, we're, we're the company that you don't know exists, but you see us every day was kind of how they, how they described it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I went there and, and took a, a sourcing role on a new product development team. So we were developing um, actually um, body pins and jean wires and scrunchies and brushes and combs uh, for Goody and women's hair product. Yeah, I know way too much about that for how short my hair is. <laughs> um, but what I learned was I was actually playing quote unquote packaging engineer because I was trying to value optimize the package as we were launching these new products because we had a cost point to hit for a retailer. And so much of the packaging cost is already developed in by the design organization prior to it getting to us and sourcing to go get a fully landed cost for this product that I was value optimizing that um, from like a VAVE opportunity perspective. And so that's really where I started interacting with packaging and started having some conversations with my father who uh, spent 30 years at Procter & Gamble on the procurement side and come to find out, he actually started his career in buying uh, rigid and fiber-based packaging for Richardson Vicks and uh, United Dairies when mm -hmm. he was in Jersey. So there's really packagings in our blood. And so it kind of came full circle for me uh, when I was at Newell to be dealing with packaging as a value optimization process for Newell and for our end-use customers to interact with that packaging, but also for our retailers to get more on shelf and to try to use that as a billboard to promote and pull through sales. Uh, so I spent some time at Newell. That gave me a great basis from a supply chain perspective. And then I did what um, a lot of people told me I was crazy for. I left this sexy consumer products company and I went to work for a paper company that manufactured paper. So most folks say you do that the other way, right? You should start at the paper side and then go into the sexy brands to go hang out with. But what that allowed me to do is really understand not only how is paper made, but then how does that go into packaging? So I worked for a company called Caristar yeah. that is purchased by Greif. 
and I ran their uh, their sourcing and procurement uh, across the entire country. Was there through the acquisition of Newark Paperboard Group. Uh, helped onboard that, but learned a lot around how you lay down fiber, uh, how you manufacture that, how you build layers of a sheet, what the different properties are and chemicals that go into it. And that just drove a further um, ingrained nature of me wanting to understand packaging more and more. Uh, I always, even before I took this role here at Veritiv, would um, play with packaging in stores and my wife would kind of walk away from me because uh, I'd pick it up and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. Or I'd take packaging part at home and try to figure out how they did things or like, wow, they really could have optimized this to make it a smaller box to be better for shipping and things along those lines. Um, so I left Caristar, came to Veritiv, was on the paper side of the business, and then got involved in the, in the packaging design organization. And it's been a, a whirlwind tour here, to say the least, on, on the design side. Started in the design organization late 2017, early 2018. And it's been fast and furious trying to migrate from um, commodities with a little bit of custom packaging to a high degree of custom packaging work that the design organizations right. going forward. It's really been a fun time uh, so far. And with the launch of Vine that we just did uh, back in July, we've gotten even more at the front end of consumer development for packaging. Yeah. So you have, uh, this is, it, it's interesting because it's, it's, you don't tend to meet somebody, at least I don't, I don't meet a lot of people through the podcast who their, their entry started in college. And, you know, I know you went into 3PL, but to even have a, a procurement degree is, is not, is, is relatively atypical um, as, as I found. And then, and then you have this background that is not uh, it, it's not as though you were a, a graphic designer for your entire life. You were in sourcing and uh, doing operations management and procurement, and then you have a marketing degree. Has that helped you quite a bit, have sort of the right brain, left brain approach to something like Vine uh, that is so much more interaction with, uh, with, with brand designers and, and things like that? I think it's done a, a lot of things for me. Um, so I always thought of myself as left brain, right brain, but I never really thought of myself as being uh, overly creative or having that creative eye for things. Mm -hmm. But as I've interacted with my, my leadership team here in the design organization, having that unique perspective of operations, procurement, the marketing background, and then coupling that with my naturally um, curious nature of asking questions and trying to get to the root cause of things has really allowed me to um, build up trust within the design organization and with our customers that we, we know what we're talking about and that we can really fulfill that promise of delivering from a true concept presentation with the Vine organization, uh, which is our new packaging consultancy and design agency that's fully inside of Veritiv, all the way through completion with engineering, uh, Amazon APAS or ISTA testing to delivery through the Veritiv organization. And so when we launched Vine, it was really around what were we missing for the Veritiv customer? We had this great engineering powerhouse, but our customers were really looking at us for secondary or tertiary packaging. And how do we drive more into being that primary solution and have the right to play with brand owners, marketers, and things of that side. Uh, so having that marketing background and then that operations and procurement, being able to pull those pieces together to have that holistic view of what was going on in that conversation has really been helpful to us. It's not to say that Veritiv didn't play with some brand owners previously, but it was on a much more small scale. 
what Vine's allowing us to do is to have that right to play with those folks and have a value proposition that allows them to deliver uh, packaging solutions that are on brand and communicate the right messaging. As yeah. so much stuff has moved online, right? Um, I don't know about you, Adam, but my house is basically Christmas every day right now with the amount of Amazon boxes and things that have been showing up. It's totally true, yeah. Uh, and uh, the yeah the the whole e-commerce idea really ramped up. I saw I don't know what the exact stat was, but there was there was some fear that uh, the the baby boomer generation would never really grab on to e-commerce, and then COVID forced a lot of people to do that because you needed to get stuff. And so and then they found oh this is actually a pretty pleasant experience. So I don't think that that train is going to be pulling back into the station. I think it's just going to be let loose across every, every person. So you're right on there. And I was even thinking about your, your background at a company like, like Newell Brands, where I have to imagine, because I've been in these meetings before, it's not as though the design and the engineering is somehow divorced from something like supply chain procurement. They're all this interconnected web together. You can't if you design something that can't really be procured, or you design it only to be in one specific substrate that one niche vendor has. For a company like Newell Brands, you're really limiting your ability, the ability of your company to scale up on that. So, I would it would seem like it's actually a really natural marriage uh, to be able to come into a company and and say, hey, we, we can sort of speak the languages of, of all of these different players within an organization. It's not a, hey, give us a spreadsheet with all of your, with all of your shipping boxes and we're gonna try to lower your price by two and a half percent. It's really much more holistic. Is that sort of the, the impetus behind the launch of Vine? It, it absolutely is. And, and really, we've always had these conversations with our customers and even back when I was at Newell or Caristar, it was always about, how do we take cost out of the system? With the, the advent and the launch of Vine, what we've changed the game on is the conversations now around how can we generate additional revenue for you versus taking cost out? Yeah. How can we help you grow your business? Um, the, the phrase we like to use as we're working with our clients on developing solutions is co-growth. Right? We're not going to go build this thing, put it up on a pedestal and say, you can't touch this. We built this ultimate brand and package for you. It's about that co-creation and co-growth together, that by building that and becoming uh, one with these two different companies, we come to the ultimate solution that helps our customers grow, that helps us grow, and makes the conversation much more about how do we put more money into their pocket, and less about how do we take cost out of the system and try to cheapen something down to a different level. Yeah. Well, so we've mentioned Vine now a couple of times, and, and I'll be honest, I don't even really know fully. I've said this before, and I don't know if people believe me or not, but, you know, Matt, this is, this is the first time you and I have ever spoken, is this interview. And I like it because it, it is a, it, to me at least, when you talk about curiosity, it allows me to get curious. This isn't like some finely crafted interview. I, that's not my background at all, as a matter of fact. So um, I legitimately don't know a ton about Vine and what you're doing. And maybe some of our listeners do. But, uh, you know, given the fact that it's been recently launched, there's probably a lot more people who don't. So uh, maybe walk us through not just so we, we know about your background. And I think that you come across as certainly very qualified. And I'm assuming that you're telling the truth. <laughs> uh, I assume, yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, 
So then let, let's let's launch into this to this Vine initiative. Uh, maybe what is it on a very uh, basic, simple scale, and who is it that you're helping, and what problems are you solving? And uh, let's 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 dig into that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So um, so Vine is our our internal packaging uh, design and consultancy that we launched uh, publicly in mid July. It's been in the works for about two years from the time we, time we launched it. Our original plan was to launch in uh, March of this year. Obviously, that got disrupted with a, a little thing that kind of has taken over the globe with this COVID pandemic. Yeah. And so um, we, we delayed it till July. But we really felt that we needed to get it out there. And we knew we could help customers even during this pandemic with what was going on and what was happening to the consumer and what was shifting, right? So we had a lot of customers that were predominantly retail-based today that were shifting to a DTC model and needed to figure out how to take a retail carton and get it to a consumer safely without adding a lot of costs that they hadn't budgeted into their system previously. Um, so, so that was why we went ahead and launched it during the pandemic. Um, so going back to what Vine is, mm -hmm. Vine really fulfills the promise that we've been making to our customers around being able to help them create a brand. Uh, historically, we were great at taking some of these graphics, creating a structure, applying those to the structure, and giving them a engineered solution, blocking and bracing, guaranteeing that a product's going to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. But we didn't spend a lot of time and hadn't made a large investment on the front end, uh, brand creation, logo creation, tagline, uh, color palette, or what that holistic packaging strategy meant and how you can communicate brand to a consumer through that packaging. Um, as we're learning more and more now as an industry, the, the second moment of truth that we used to call is becoming more the first moment of truth when a consumer opens that box at their house because they bought it off of a web page or off of a catalog or something along those lines. They've made the decision to buy, but a lot of that interaction that they used to have at the store where they pick it up and have that um, tangible feel and look at it is gone. And so that second moment of truth or that unboxing moment has become so much more critical. And it's a great way to message brand that I think a lot of folks are still not uh, fully utilizing to the best of their abilities. And so with the launch of Vine, specifically during the pandemic, what we've really helped with is a lot of folks on an e-commerce front and then we've helped a few companies that are what I'm going to call in that startup phase, so less than $25 million of revenue, build brands. Okay. Interesting. And, and is that your, uh, what's the, there's a phrase, um, ICP, your ideal customer profile. Is it more, I mean, obviously, you're going to help wherever you can help. But when you launched Vine uh, in, in July of 2020, was that was that more so to help those those twenty five million and under companies? Um, is that is that sort of where your sweet spot is right now? Because um, obviously there there are other there are other companies out there who who do this though not maybe vertically integrated like Verative is. So um, maybe it's companies who are, who are not uh, aware of or maybe quite frankly just can't afford um, other other agencies. Like who is it that that primarily benefits from from what where Vine is today, understanding that it's probably, I mean, it's just it's just recently launched. There's, there's going to be natural evolutions that happen over the period of time, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. So I'd say we're kind of at the tip of the iceberg here. We've got a lot of inbound requests to us of folks that have started pinging us since the launch here uh, looking for support. But Adam, it's not really just at 25 million and, and under role. Uh, we had some success there, but we're really looking at anybody up to the Fortune 500. Um, I'd say really there that they, they got all these in-house teams are not using outside firms yeah. as much for a lot of that. So uh, we're, we're crossing multiple different folks from that perspective. We've completed some projects um, for a, a, a large cannabis company recently that we did a full rebrand on there. We've done some smaller stuff with um, folks that are launching a single product or a, a series of products, maybe around a dental or moving things around in your home. We just completed a project though with somebody I would put in the Fortune 20 actually on mm -hmm. a an unboxing experience from a, a kit where we beat out what I would call a traditional brand agency to get that work. And we're taking that business because we can go from the conceptual piece to the physical prototype and then deliver that global supply chain for them of delivering that product to their end, end manufacturers. Yeah. Um, that was one that was pretty fun for us. So we're, we're playing differently with each of those demographics. If you say it's the fortune 500 or the, your established startups and your, um, your companies in that billion dollar range or $500 million range, we have different offerings that fit in there. But what we've seen the most success with today is unique uh, opportunities with inside companies. So the companies we've engaged so far would be startups, established startups and fortune 500s. And we're really excited about the fact that the amount of work that's coming to us from existing variative customers is great because what that's doing is allowing us to strengthen our relationship as variative as a whole with those customers and drive that business further for our customers. Because really what the whole piece of Vine is, is to increase our customers' revenue mm -hmm. and then allow Veritive to grow more with those customers. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's one of the more fascinating aspects about packaging is a pack, if, you're, if, you're, if you are a packaging manufacturing or packaging distribution company, you have a direct relationship to the success of your customers the more successful they are at selling products, the more that they have to procure from you. And so it, it's, it, and I, that's not the only industry where that's the case, but certainly take something like, you know, I don't, I'll make something commercial insurance. Uh, that there's not, there's not a one-to-one -one relationship there. Yeah, you know, maybe they have more needs, but you scale at, at roughly the same level and you also decline at the same level. Um, as your customers. And so that, that idea of investing in a customer is, is so critical in, in investing in their success in that way. So my question around that is you talked about how you have a lot of people who are existing Veritive uh, customers. Are you also getting non-Veritive, and I mean like they have not traditionally done business, but they are coming into Vine and that's kind of the entry point for somebody into the Veritive organization, or is it mostly at this point in time, existing customers who need help with, with various design uh, pro projects? I'm actually glad you asked me that question because I should have mentioned that. So we're, we're actually about a 60-40 split right now with 60% of the work that we're doing or clients that we're engaging with that are not a current Veritive customer and 40% are an existing Veritive customer. 
And these folks are finding us through our webpage, either at, at veritivecork.com or vinepkg.com. Or they've reached out to a local seller and say, hey, we heard about X, Y, and Z. Can you introduce us into the, the Vine team to allow us to understand how we can go to market? We've even gotten some referrals from some um, formal, former employees who used to work with us that knew we were launching this that said, hey, uh, in the role I'm in today, we can't help this customer, but we believe you can. The nice thing about Vine and, and how it really fits well with Veritive is we're not worried about order minimums out of the warehouse at this point in time, right? So that used to be the metric of could we onboard a customer, right? Could we, could we back up a 53-foot trailer to them and make deliveries to them on a regular basis that met some sort of operational supply chain metrics that would allow us to uh, make enough money on that order that makes sense? Right. That, that precluded us from working with a lot of startups because – they don't necessarily meet those order minimums on an ongoing basis. What Vine allows us to do is get in on the front end of those startups that have money to spend to develop their packaging and need the help. And then we can build and nurture that relationship so that they can become longer term, large customers for Veritas. Uh, I think that's a, a great revenue stream for Veritas long-term. And it's also a way for us to expand our footprint outside of what we would traditionally be going after. Um, in food manufacturing and fulfillment. Yeah, and uh, a couple more questions along this. It, so, uh, when when a, when a brand comes to to Vine, and let's say they need design services, and and then they also need to subsequently buy the packaging, are you able to create a couple of different, um, we'll call it revenue models for Veritive? Maybe they don't want to pay, I don't, I'm making up numbers here. So maybe it's $10,000 for the design services. Um, are you able to then say, well, we'll roll this into the cost of your packaging over a couple of years, or do you treat it separately where it's like, this is the design service, you pay for the design service. And then if you want to buy the packaging from us, we'll go ahead and take care of that. How, how does that dynamic work? Or, or is that even something that's, that's out there? Yeah, so our, so our go-to-market strategy from that perspective, Adam, is, is really uh, much more the, the second half of what you said, where uh, we are selling these services as a fee. Okay. Um, what I would say is we're, we're highly competitive with the market that we're playing in, and we've not lost an opportunity because our fees aren't in line there. Got it. But we, we, we do the fee piece and then the consumable piece separate or the packaging piece separately. So we're, we're treating those as separate pieces. Um, but really utilizing Vine to pull in those customers to generate additional packaging because packaging is that, is that ongoing annuity, right? It's something that they're going to continue to buy time and time again. And that's where Veritive proper generates its revenue from. Okay. Vine is a portion of that, but we're an $8 billion company at Veritive. Vine is never going to be an $8 billion company by itself, right? Vine feeds the broader Veritive proposition and just adds to that continued value proposition for our customers. Got it. Okay. And, that, and I think that makes sense to have that, that distinction. Um, and how many people currently are working directly into the, I mean, I'm guessing you have designers and maybe a packaging engineer. What, what is your team? Cause what, yeah, what does your team look like, uh, today? Uh, which is, you know, in general terms of the fall of 2020, uh, since we don't know the exact date that the podcast will launch. So the, the specific team that's dedicated to just Vine today yeah, is yeah. really on a, a few business development managers and the brand team. 
And so that team uh, sits at about eight members. Okay. And then that team is supported by our broader verative team of industrial designers, graphic designers, structural designers, and packaging engineers. And that's a global team of just shy of 100 folks. So the, the benefit here is we're not putting industrial designers or packaging engineers onto a vine to build out a, a full team there. We're tapping into those verative resources and pulling them in for project specifics so that we're augmenting the vine staff. So basically, we didn't go out and create this whole new agency with a a cost structure to go support it that to go after uh, thousands of opportunities. We're building something that is a little bit of an incubator and using the variative core values of industrial design packaging engineering to augment that to be able to go help our packaging uh, customers grow and develop further. Got it. Got it. Uh, well, that's exciting. I mean, it's cool. Uh, it's cool what you got, uh, what you guys are developing and building. And, you know, like we said, it's, it's, it's going to undergo various iterations as you continue to build it out um and and i would i would venture to guess for you you've kind of been able to see from Karastar and newell and you know even probably talking with your father about his experience at a company like png and then to be part of a a startup that's part of an eight billion dollar company is 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 got to be a really dynamic uh, a dynamic experience and, and really trying to do something, um, you know, unique and different that, that brings value to, to your customers. I got to imagine you, you feel like when you wake up and you go to work, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the same old, same old every day has got to be something a little different, right? It's fantastic. Um, this is probably the funnest thing I've done in my uh, professional career. Um, is, is this launch of Vine. I've, I've really wear two hats, right? So I, I lead the core design organization for Verative, but I'm also leading this Vine initiative. Um, and so it, it's kind of two very different areas that continue to drive the business forward. Yeah. And my, I'm very proud that um, we've got Isla Walk uh, leading the creative efforts for the Vine organization from a leadership perspective and leading that creative team um, that helps drive the customer's brand creation for us. That's cool, yeah. It's always good working with, uh, with, with people you like, right? Absolutely, it's what makes it fun and gets out of bed and you gotta enjoy work, right? We're, we're spending more and more time working now ever since the pandemic. I, I don't know about you, Adam, but I feel like days are becoming closer to 10 to 12 hours uh, doing work because of uh, we're connected and most of us are still working from home at this point in time or home most of the most of the time, not at maybe every day. And so it's, it's just easier to log on when you're getting the kids ready for school or um, keep the computer going up till you're having dinner or even after dinner. So yeah. um, it, it's definitely something if I wasn't having fun that it could be draining, but this is the most fun I've had as an adult. That's awesome. Yeah, I, my one of my good friends uh, back in Colorado uh, said, you have to learn situational fluidity. And it's, I think it's the second or third time I mentioned that on the podcast, but it's this whole idea. And especially when you're working from home, when you don't have that time, let's say you were commuting, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, one way to work, you tend to have that time to adjust, get ready for work, decompress a little bit from work. And now, you know, for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in my, my home office in my basement. And so, when 
when it when it's like when it's time to go eat dinner, I can go from a really really difficult phone call, and then thirty seconds later, I'm sitting at the table, and my kids want to tell me about their day, and you know my it's and so being able to quickly adjust, I think, is is becoming a critical part of uh, the the American business journey, or really globally uh, as well, as this has been a pandemic that's impacted everybody. Um, so yeah, I totally, totally agree with you there. And, and it is important to, to have fun and enjoy the people you're working with. Uh, so my last question is one that I ask everybody. And I think I frame it differently most of the times, but uh, there, there are a lot of issues that are certainly facing our, our world that are, that, that are in the packaging industry and that come even sometimes are caused by the packaging industry. So uh, I, I like to ask people to kind of think through this, this future state. So you, you are given full power to fix anything you can about the packaging industry. It doesn't matter. It could be financial. It could be supply chain. It could be sustainability. It could be design, whatever it is. And you can just, you know, snap your Thanos finger. That's a bad example because a lot of people died in that one. Uh, you can... <laughs> You can wave that. You can wave the magic wand and and fix it all. Uh, what would that What would that thing, or maybe maybe even things, be uh, as you kind of think through that question? That's a, that's an interesting question. So um, I, I travel a lot internationally uh, for work and for pleasure, and and one of the things that you continue to see in, in different countries is the amount of um, uh, trash that we as a human race create. Right. So. A lot of that, as you look around, is created by some of the biggest brands in the world as they're just laying by the side of the road or sitting in piles, depending on what part of the, um, the world you're in, um, developing nations, third world countries, North America. And so I guess the thing I would say is, and getting a little closer to home, is um, around our recycling systems, right? So here in Georgia, I actually pay almost the same amount to recycle packaging and things that come to my home as I have to do for my landfill. Uh, I know in Canada and specifically in like uh, Toronto areas, recycling is free. You pay for landfill. And so I guess the thing I would say is that we figure out some way or snap my fingers or wave the magic wand here, use my Harry Potter magic yeah, and um, create some way that nationally we charge for trash and drive a system of recyclability that allows everybody to participate. Cause when I look around my neighborhood, not everybody's got a recycling can out there. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm in an area of, of town that you would think everybody would be paying for that, but it's an added cost and some people just choose not to. And so in my mind, if we can figure out how to do that and then hold um, brand owners accountable. And, and once again, this is Matt Reddington's opinion, not yeah. a, a veritable opinion here. For sure. Um, totally brand owners accountable for the waste that they generate in the packaging that they're developing and sending out there and end of life of product. I think what you'd see is things that are much more uh, economical from a shipping perspective. You're not going to get a box with a bunch of air pillows to ship you two pens. Right. That's 24 by 12 by six, right? things are becoming much more economical. Uh, I, I think it's interesting with this um, approval for Amazon to have drones. I don't know what that's gonna do to, to shrink the size of packaging, 
but a, a lot of this consumerism that drives the, the now, 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 I need things immediately has also contributed to the amount of additional landfill and lack of recycling that's occurred because I'm getting one item in a box delivered to my house every day versus going to the store and I buy all six of those, right? So when you start right. thinking about the ability to fix the recyclability issues in the U.S., it impacts your supply chains. It impacts the size of the packaging that folks are going to use. If you start holding those brand owners accountable and, and forcing them to do um, better, more economical curbside recyclable packaging, and you allow every household in America to recycle for free, then the value of that recycling becomes more valuable to the per person, person that's going to reuse it, right? So if I go back to my Carastar days, OCC or old corrugated containers, if I can get those from more folks and get more of that into the supply chain, that's great, right? Regrinding of, of resins or pulling back in those thermoform trays. Um, here in Atlanta, they won't take glass anymore because it's causing uh, folks to cut their hands and it's just too hard to recycle. Yeah. How do we get that back into that society? Because that's going to take a long time and takes up a lot of space from a landfill perspective. So I think the thing I would change is if we fix the recycling side and make that available to everybody or universal recyclability. I'm not getting on a political bandwagon here, but um, <laughs> you get universal recyclability, that changes, in my opinion, the way packaging is treated from a, a brand company and really would help change the shift into sustainability more. Yeah. Well, when, when, uh, when the podcast is over, I'll make a couple of introductions to people who share the same, the, the same ideas and are, are doing some pretty cool things. And I, know, I even know over in, in, I believe it's in Europe, uh, they're really pushing for this whole like extended producer responsibility idea. So um, I agree. If you could just wave the wand and just say, okay, it's done, that would be, that would be awesome. Um, I know I said that that would be my last question, but I do need to ask because I, I also love international travel. Do you have a favorite place that you go when you travel internationally for work or for pleasure? So I used to say my favorite place to travel to from a work perspective was Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, but that, that shifted uh, recently simply because of the um, things that are going on from a global perspective. So and now, and, and now that I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old at home, um, that, that answer has changed as well. But I, I, I love anywhere that there's water. So uh, we've recently, prior to the pandemic, have been doing a lot of uh, Disney cruises. Okay. And so we've been doing those through the Caribbean. We actually took one up uh, around Maine into Canada and just recently completed one to Alaska. And so that's been a great way for us to uh, be out in the water, experience different cultures, yeah, and also have the kids entertained with Mickey and Minnie along the way. That's awesome. I uh, I took my my wife and I uh, took our twelve year old son and ten year old daughter on a on an adventure last year where we went to uh, through London and Paris and then connected in Oman and landed in India and then got on a five hour train ride and went to rural India. It was. It was an experience that I'm pretty sure my kids, my, my two, I have five kids, my two oldest kids uh, will not forget. And I, I hope to be able to take all of my kids on that same thing because it is important uh, to get that. That's amazing. To get that kind of global perspective. Yeah, it was, it was quite, it was quite interesting. And I agree. Hong Kong is, there is, there is, it, it is a special city. Um, if you get a chance to go there, obviously they're going through a lot of unrest right now, but. 
Um, well, Matt, I uh, you know we covered we covered uh, Ben Roethlisberger all the way down to Hong Kong. So um, I think, and, and we happened to talk about some packaging in between. So I'm I'm happy to know you. I'm glad that we got to know a little bit about your story and what uh, what's going on with Vine at Veritive. And it's cool to see uh, you know the ways in which you you're you're helping both emerging brands and also established brands. Uh, really drive drive value and and sell ultimately sell more products uh, and that's kind of why why we're all here. So any any parting uh, parting last word? Oh, how do how do people get in touch with you? LinkedIn, email. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you or to Vine um, because they they need your help? Sure. So uh, LinkedIn profile has got my cell phone number there, or anybody's welcome to email me at matt.reddington at veritivecorp.com. As far as getting in touch with Vine, uh, Vine Packaging, it's just hello at vinepkg.com. And that connects you directly into our, uh, our project management organization and you'll get a response back within 48 hours. Cool deal. I will make sure those are put into the show notes and uh, hopefully some people reach out to you and get, get the help that, that they're needing on their, on their packaging design and, and ultimately you know, to, to, like I, like you've, you said much better than I'm going to say, but ultimately uh, drive value for, for their own brand and, and help them sell more products and employ people and do great things. Um, so thanks again, Matt, for, for coming on and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Adam. Have a great day. All right. You as well.